Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see y'all. Grace and peace. Welcome to Bible study today. Um, as we continue uh, through David's uh, life, and boy, this is hard stuff that we're going to be tackling with today. Uh, but hopefully, we will. Uh, our hearts will be in a place where we can hear and receive and be changed by what we hear um, together. Um, today will be our last study until January the fourth. So mark that in your calendars. January the 4th, we will resume. Uh, hopefully, every one of y'all is going to have a great Christmas with your family and friends. And uh, But until then... Which one? You weren't going to let Kurt know about Thanksgiving. <laughs> hey, if you will... Re- you know, of, of all the people that we were afraid wasn't going to get the word, we were most afraid of, that you wouldn't. And so we made sure that you got the word. How's that? I heard the vote was pretty much unanimous. <laughs> Come on, Kurt. Come on. You know that the love for you runs deep, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Something runs deep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right, so we're going to pray through, uh, to get started, we're going to pray through Psalm 41. It's a, it's a Psalm of David, of course, and I just want you to note the contrast in David's prayer and David's behavior as we go through our study this morning. Let's pray together. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desires of their foes. The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. I said, have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die as his name and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely. While his heart gathers slander, then he goes out and spreads it around. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shares my bread, has turned against me. But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And amen. All right, we're going to take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. Pick up a little in chapter 11. Nobody ever wants to be judged on their worst day, their worst moment. David is going to be judged here on his worst moment. I hope the longer we get to know David, the more you see David as kind of a representation of all of us. 
We are, as people, such a paradox. We can be some of the best, most wonderful, kind, brave, strong, good people, and in the next breath we can be conniving and murderous and just monstrous. So it's always worth remembering God loves us for who we truly are, not who we, tru- who we pretend to be. So God still loves David, even though David's pretty unlovable. Look at uh, verse 25. David has just gotten the report from Joab, the letter that says, Oh, Uriah was killed as we rushed the walls of the Ammonite city. And David, in not a very psalm-like way, writes to Joab, Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword kills one as well as the another. Fight harder next time and conquer this city. I mean, that's just cold. They've set up the murder of uh, this mercenary, Uriah, who has been one of David's loyal 600, just because David got his wife pregnant. And here David glibly is saying, yeah, sword kills. Yep, sorry. So we pick up the story, verse 26. When Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, it's about 60 days, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became his wife. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was very displeased with what David had done. And so David thinks, I've won. I solved the little problem. Just like I always do, I flank the problem. I found an alternative workaround. Um, I dealt with it. And now not only am I not in trouble, but I've got a new wife who is unusually beautiful. So problem solved, right? Except for God is upset. David has been anointed to be leader. And one of the things that we'll get into that it's hard for us, we generally are of a mindset where we think God judges just us individually. What we do is what we do, and the consequences of what we do affect us, which is true. But it's also true that when God puts us in positions of responsibility, he gives us authority like being a father, being a boss, being a king. Other people's lives depend on your choices. And so your sins can kill someone else. My translation says that uh, the thing David had done was evil inside of the Lord. Yeah, that's that's better. No, I, I was. Yeah. I, and so that's what I was yeah. gonna. I was gonna get to that. So thank you for bringing it up. So how did this whole mess start? Okay. And then the thing after that, he saw. Right. And remember how last week we tied that back to the Adam and Eve story that Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was. Pleasing to the eye, right? And so it's David, and and so just think about that. As Pastor Kurt was saying, how many lives have been affected by David's choice so far? 
Well, David's has. Uh, Bathsheba's has. Uh, Joab was probably emboldened a little bit more if he needed, if he even needed it even more than that. Uh, I mean, he, I mean, Joab, he terrible. Uh, Joab's life has Uriah is now dead, and if you miss it, you, you almost gloss over it. Other people died because of what? Because of these orders that were, and so. Normally, David would say, well, gosh, now i got to go deal with this. And now he's just very cold, got it handled. Because all of this was becoming good in his own eyes. But now, what was the translation again, Joey? Uh, it says, but the thing that David had done was evil in the sight. Evil in the sight of the Lord. Those are the eyes that matter. Right? It is God that determines good and bad, good and evil. When we get in that game, we start making choices like David has, and we can rationalize them to the moon. There's a lot of unintended consequences with our bad choices that you may find out 10 years later. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe that's the, the, the most important thing that David's whole story teaches us. Because really, from this point forward, David's life is no fun. So, uh, it gets ugly. God is saying this is evil. One of the cultural bumps that we're going to hit here is that so much of our morality is based on biblical values that sometimes we begin to think what we have in modern society is biblical values. And I think it was true <laughs> until more recently we've taken some obviously left turns in some morality. But one of the things that the Scripture treats very differently than the way we would in society today is Ill illegitimate children. Um, bastards are treated in God's eyes very, very poorly. He does not want them to exist. Let me try to give some of this weight to you um, out of Deuteronomy 23. Um, this is one of the original laws about, um, they call them momsers in Hebrew, which is bastards. Um, 23 verse 2, those of illegitimate birth and their descendants for 10 generations may not be included in the assembly of the Lord. So just wrap your brain around that. If you're illegitimate, you cannot go to the temple or be involved in Jewish celebrations up to 10 generations. This is one of the most severe uh, restrictions that he places on anybody. And it sounds unfair to us, right? Because a child hasn't done this. A child hasn't asked for this. But it is uh, not something he wants to exist in society. Um, his standards for marriage are very much higher than ours today. In addition, momsters cannot marry other Jews. Uh, which puts a severe restriction on their ability. And part of it is because of this, you know, stigma for 10 years. Um, 
It's, it's, it's really, really hard on them. So how many wives did David have? Oh, probably uh, north of 100 at this point. So it's okay to have multiple wives and have multiple kids? Yes. Uh, yes. And here, here's the other real hard thing. So the only thing that makes it adultery is that she's married. If she had not been married, they wouldn't have considered it a problem. I, you know, I, I, I'm just giving you what they believed at that time. So, but to take another man's wife is seen as the height of adultery. So, it's it's a bad situation. Uh, a monster cannot become king. There's no way um, that they cannot inherit. Now, we appreciate what Jesus did when he comes, right? And he changes um, this this treatment, but. That still doesn't negate the way God originally wanted the world to be, where there were not illegitimate children. Was reading an article last week, um, as of 2020, and I, I need to get really to the bottom of the article. I just read it, and it shocked me, and then I moved on. But it's saying that 18% of the American population now comes from a two-parent home. I believe it. I mean, think about that. What are we setting ourselves up for? Um, and obviously, I, I think everybody deserves grace, but um, when God was trying to put the world together, he was saying, yeah, this is really hard on a child. Let's not do this. Um, to have single parents or no parents or stigma. Joe, so I want to go back to part of the comment that you made. Uh, you said it's okay for them to have 100 wives or whatever, but not this. No. <clears throat> Like when we read about David's David and Solomon's love love lives, um, the the writers don't say anything negative about it, but you're left to make a judgment about it. And when you read it in the context of Genesis one and two, especially, which you're supposed to read all of Scripture in the context of Genesis one and two, right? That's what we taught you this 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 whole past fall. Uh, the intent is for. One marriage. When a father, when a, when a man leaves his mother, his, his father and mother, and clings to his wife, the two shall become one. It's done. How does then a, if you're going to marry again, how then does a person return to his father and mother? And then you see, you see, it's like you'd have to back that out a hundred times. That that is not God's intent. So you, you had to dig back these layers, and God's having to kind of undo a bunch of junk that we choose to say is good. And uh, so it's not criticized, but talk about their lives, especially Solomon. It's no good. It just it create it causes many many problems. And generally, that's my opinion. Yeah, no, I think it's right. And generally, it's just the king that's doing this in Judean society, which I don't know if that makes it better, but it's not that common to have multiple wives amongst Jews, just the nobility and the king. But anyway, so chapter 12. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One rich and one poor. The rich man owned many sheep and cattle. The poor man owed nothing but a little lamb that he worked hard to buy. He raised that little lamb 
and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. So (laughs) a couple strange things going on here. Instead of just coming in and saying as a prophet, David, you screwed up, you idiot. I'm here to bust you. What's wrong? They continue to go through this process that will become what rabbis do. This is the way Jesus teaches. The scripture wants you to come to the conclusion yourself. It's seen as in poor taste if you have to tell somebody what the right answer is. So you tell this parable. You tell this story. Again, this is why Jesus does what he does. I believe this is the way God works in life, that he wants us to understand the circumstance and then have, oh, the light go on, as opposed to mindlessly saying, rule number four is, and thus I do this. So obviously we're describing uh, David and Uriah. Um, Uriah definitely would be the poorer. Remember, he, his country was destroyed by the Philistines or the group of people the Philistines traveled with. So he would have been a refugee with nothing. Uh, he had to work his way up as a fighter with David. And uh, was Bathsheba really a catch? Was, was she something valuable? Well, I think she was. I mean, they said she was a looker. She was good looking. There's no denying. Wow, that's a hot, that's that's a wonderful woman. Um, So the foreigner Hittite had to had to get up early in the morning and take a lot of flowers and write a lot of love poetry, right, Uh, to win over Uh, this sense of uh, cuddling the lamb and feeding the lamb. That may sound normal in our society today with some uh, people going crazy with animals, but this would have been shocking behavior. Hebrews do not keep pets. They don't, they don't cuddle their animals. Okay, so they're saying he is, he is extreme to let her eat off his... I mean, it's, it's not the way it's supposed to be. So it's extreme. Uriah really is just... This is all he has, and he loves her above all things. So here, here's, a, here's a fun trivia question for your next Christmas party. At what time of year do the Hebrews cuddle their animals? Yeah, just one time. Anybody? Anybody? Who said it? That away, Gene. Yep. During Passover. And then what do they do to it? <laughs> they cut its throat. <laughs> Careful with that cuddling, it leads to bad things. <laughs> so, the links that God will go to show you the fleetingness of life, or the links that God will go to show you how He will save us. Come on, it's good stuff. He covered it in His arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing the lamb from his own flock for food, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and served it to his guests. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, so this becomes a vow, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. 
Oh, yeah. Actually, David, remember that little comment you told us earlier? The sword kills one as well as another. Uh, yeah, yeah, it really does. Anyone who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and had no pity. And this ends up being sort of a condemnation. David will lose four children over this uh, event. And it, it's really the four children that are the rest of his life, his struggle with uh, his kids. So he's going to lose his lambs, so to speak. And then the boom. Uh, Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king. Literally, I messiahed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you his house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Well, have you dis then you have despised the word of the Lord. And then, why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah and stolen his wife. From this time on, the sword will be a constant threat to your family because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife as your own. Because of what you have done, I, the Lord, will cause your household to rebel against you. I will give you wives to an, your, I will give your wives to another man, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will do this to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. Well, that was a nice morning. Thanks, everybody. Uh, there's so much to this. I don't even know where to start. Um, there is a pattern, and you should know this about God. It started less, the, well, the first time I see it is in Abraham. If there is a particular sin in your soul that leads you to consistently make bad choices, God will visit that sin upon you. The classic example is Abraham, who is a coward, and he constantly gives his wife away uh, to defend himself. And so God puts him scenarios again and again where he has to stand up and make these decisions. Do I defend myself or do I defend my family? And this will move on for generations. So Jacob is a, is a thief. He's a liar. He's a cheat. So he robs his family um, of the birthright. Remember that? And then God will turn around and have people rob him. He ends up having to marry two women. One's the ugly sister. The Bible says, uh, she had pretty eyes. <laughs> it's bad. Um, her name meant cow in Hebrew, <laughs> which is bad. So um, he wanted the hue and he got the cow. But anyway, so he got cheated. And it's this pattern over and over. If you do these sins to other people, then I'm going to visit it on you until you learn. You know, it's like this is everybody's, um, you know, back in the day, what happened if you got caught smoking? What did your parents or grandparents do? Makes Exactly. You had to smoke the whole pack till you were sick of it. Yeah. So you're either sick of it or you're addicted. <laughs> and to a certain degree, 
you have to hear, I think God does that to us until you learn, stop it. And David is now going to, he's had his hands covered in blood, um, and he's, he's going to have it visited upon him. This is a hard thing, but it's still an act of grace, God trying to save, save David. Well, how many of us learn by just reading the Bible? I mean, I'm not screwing that up. I mean, honestly, like, some of us are very hard-headed. I think we all are when it really comes down to it. And I, that's that's my testimony. Unfortunately, I I'm like the third time champ, right? I don't get it the first time or the second time, and usually about the third, I'm oh. So um, let, let me just ask. I mean, what's your reaction? Is this David has earned it, and so it's fine? Let's move on. Is God being too harsh? I think he knows what he shouldn't do. He should do. He does it anyway. It's wrong. So it looks good. And David has seen, obviously, God do amazing things, right? And so, how did he really think he could keep this from God? How do you really think you can keep those things? that we hide from God. Steve and I can make a confession to you. Um, how many funerals do you think we've done together now? I mean, done, you both of us, I mean, it's... it's Too many. It, yeah, it's, it's a lot. It all comes out. You may think your kids don't know. You may think it'll never be known. Strange pastors that come in and do it hear the stories. It all comes out. Deal with it before we have to deal with it at your funeral. Okay, <laughs> just a just a nice request there. Um, if you don't, then God will deal with it when you get up there. And we all have stuff. We all do stupid things. We've all got pasts. Just like God said, you want to deal with it secretly. I'm going to deal with it publicly. Much better to work it out with God, put it to rest, make amends, and then move on. Instead of all these, we try it, we work it, and then people end up getting hurt. So let's, we're going to have to end on a hard place here. 13. Hold on, before, sure. oh, before you move forward, I would just want you to note in verse 10. Oh. Uh, if you were to ask David in the middle of all this, if you were to come up, David, do you despise the Lord? What's David's answer going to be? No, of course not. No, of course not. He made me king. But just note, note how God, it, it's like not only is, is there's this great mourning over what David has done and what Uriah has done, but God just incisively just points out there has been a breakdown of relationship. You had despised me. Like this person who was the man after God's own heart, something has drastically changed. Because when we, we are in this place of covenant relationship with God and things are good 
And we are discerning good and evil according to God's standards of good and evil. Things are well. But it is like when we, when we choose to be wise in our own eyes. Remember, our eye, David prays in Psalm 131, My eyes are not proud. My heart, my, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. Right? That leads this to us to this place where we are in this, this rhythm of despising the Lord. And we may think, and just like David did all throughout this, he thought it was good. Good, I, I'm going to cover my butt. It's going to be good. We're going to be able to move on. No. Despising the Lord is never good. That's always raw. It's always evil. So a covenant is what God says we should hold to, right? So when you get married, what do you make? Covenant. So Uriah and Bathsheba had a covenant together. Covenant and marriage are the same word in Hebrew. Berit. So when you break a covenant, it's not just with God, but if someone else has made a covenant. But this is where it gets really hard. David then confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord, which... Uh, Steve read to us in the uh, the psalm. So to David's benefit here, uh, he he fesses up. He he's been caught. He knows. He he confesses. Uh, I was going to read just the just. This is beautiful. What David David starting to try to turn this thing around quick. I wanted to you know we've kind of left behind Saul. So I just wanted to read a couple of accounts of when Saul was caught uh, in sin and see, just see the contrast. Uh, verse 11 of 1 Samuel 13. What have you done? Samuel asked. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set of time and that the Philistines were assembling at Milmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgah, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Who at the who was who who was the problem? All the other people out there, right? Now eventually he got to this place where I had not sought the favor of the Lord, but he still had to take matters into his own hands. But he was blaming his circumstances. He was blaming the people out there. All right. The second time, uh, just real quick. This is when uh, he did not complete. He he took some of the plunder and let the king live. Uh, the uh, the uh, the king of the Amalekites live. Uh, this is First uh, Samuel uh, fifteen. Uh, but Samuel said, "What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears?" What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Because they were supposed to kill him. Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Again, he's blaming. That's, it's it's their, their problem. We didn't... This is for you, God! And David says, I have sinned against you, Lord. So David repents. And it's all supposed to be over, right? I said, I'm sorry. It's over. It's not. 
Nathan replies, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. But you've given the enemies of the Lord an opportunity to despise and blaspheme him, so your child will die. Which, in our modern vantage point, what did the kid do? The kid didn't do anything. Why, why hurt the kid? Part of this is the way that we view ourselves, again, just as individuals versus the way that they viewed themselves. David would have really perceived his, his identity as his family, especially his sons, uh, in their sense of uh, having an afterlife. Your son is your inheritance. Your son is what you want above all things. A son is what makes you good, again, that you, you can produce. And so David, in his sin, has produced a child that God did not intend to exist. Now, sure, God could have stopped the conception, but if you expect God to be your nanny, then you don't know the God that you serve. This life is about him teaching us how to make good choices or how to deal with the consequences of our choices. And so he is having David face it here. There will be life, but what, what, what is the consequence of sin? Death. That's an absolute. God doesn't wave his fingers and it goes away. We sometimes get really spoiled because we think, oh, well, I've said I'm sorry, and the sin is taken away. But who's taking away the sin? Christ. It's his death. Um, there, there is death to pay when we create these sins. So David is going to experience it. Um, and I think we better stop here because this is a, a, big, a big topic. Um, why does the child die and why does David get to live? But other questions, worries? Yeah. Public part of that, is that something that culture would just call these things? Back there, still, but these things are going to happen in public as far as the, the shaming. Is, is that kind of recognized in Jewish? Where's the public part of that? Why does that? Yeah, so God attaches his reputation to the nation of Israel. The rest of the world is going to think of God, what Israel does. Remember, God's point was that Israel spread the message to the whole world. So what happens when you hear about a very famous pastor that, you know, goes south? I was... Uh, sticks a, money in the wall. Sticks money in the, <laughs> in the bathroom. Um, what's that about? Or um, Robbie uh, Zacharias, which you may have known him. He was an Indian apologist, great Christian speaker, read many of his books, admired him. He was an absolute dog, um, running prostitution houses and just just horrible. And it destroys uh, the, the reputation of the church. It just it, it eviscerates it. Jimmy Swagger, right? Yeah, we never forget him. Yeah. And he was a great musician. Like my grandma had a piece, right? Yeah. I was flipping around on, was it Netflix or one of them? And they're making a Tammy Faye special. And how many years is, I mean, it's like 30 years. Yeah, who care? But no, they just, they'll never let him, let him it down. 
So God trusts us when we bear his name. We run around and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I do this, I do that. And then they see us killing people so that we can get their wives sleeping around. It, it affects God. It hurts God. Do you think that's why God doesn't grade on the curve even though we do? <laughs> I, I think it's a large part. Because in a sense, he's got to live with us forever, right? He's going to move us into the house. And if he graded on the curve the whole time when we were down here, um, it's not going to be a great day when we're 70s up there. So, but yeah, you you got to know the difference between good and evil, and you got to know how to not do it. Yeah, I'm kind of struggling with the God thinks the covenant between Bathsheba and Uriah is very important, but the covenant between David and his wives is not. Because he just says, okay, I, wrecked your, I stole electric cars, so you're going to steal my car and wreck it. Right. How does God reconcile using David's wives as tools against David, I guess is what I'm struggling Okay, so settle a little bit more. So this is Bathsheba's child yes. that's going to be lost. So there's no covenant. It says that your neighbor is going to have sex with your wife, sound the open. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, he is. You're right. it's, it, this is hard. There, there's no dancing around this. This is hard. And so, we've got to remember the underlying motive here is not punishing David. It's teaching David and us life lessons. We don't learn easily. And who it is? It's Absalom his own son, who sleeps with his concubines. So it's not like it's, it's his mother, but still it, they're violating the covenant with the concubines. So it, it yeah, it, it's, a, it's a contradiction. I, I struggle with this passage a lot because I lost a child, and it, this really hit me the wrong way. You know, what did the child do, God? Um, nothing. Um, but you you got to stay with God here. You you got to go with Him, and we'll we'll spend some time um, trying to piece this out. But very good question, um, and I don't know if I really have an answer. Anything else? It's always about kids. If you want a one theme that holds all of Scripture together. It's all about kids. Whether it was Abraham in the beginning, whether it was Moses in the river, whether it's the kids here, or what are we going to celebrate the 25th? It's always about kids. Something to watch and keep in mind as we think about the only begotten. So let's pray. Father God, we have questions. We know you. We trust you. We have felt your love, and we do love you. But help us to understand this. Father God, we know when we make great mistakes, we expect you to be great and merciful and fix it. And in the midst of this, you are teaching David and us, don't make these mistakes. Don't go down this road and then expect me to be the one that's going to fix it all. We know your grace is there. We know your desire to restore us is always there. But when we turn from you, 
and head into the place of evil. Evil will be found. Evil will be all around us. So, Father God, we pray for strength today, not only for our own lives, but those that depend on us, our own kids, our own friends, church members, people that we haven't met yet, that you intend us to influence their lives. May we get it right. And when we don't, may we be like David and stop right away and try to fix it. Not let it go on, not let other people suffer for what we've done. Father God, we know it is hard to be us, but we have you on our side. So as we celebrate the birth of your son in this world, may we truly take stock that you still believe in us. You saw us kill each other for a woman, and yet you still handed yourself into our arms, knowing that you would survive. Help us to be the better part of our nature. Help us to be David's after your own heart. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Owen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, brothers. Peace of Christ be with y'all.